Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up and coming brands, anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. This week's podcast is sponsored by Hiker Hunger Outfitters. Hiker Hunger Outfitters is a company founded by hikers who take pride in creating outdoor gear made for movement. With over 80,000 happy customers, their products are designed with you in mind and they truly care about your experience with their company. Whether you're a hiker, camper, walker, explorer, or weekend adventurer, their products are made for all types of people that care about getting fresh air and staying active. Their most popular products are the two models of trekking poles, carbon fiber for those looking for a lightweight option and aluminum for tougher terrain. Check out either of these models if you've been in the market for walking sticks. Just read the reviews to get an idea of the benefit they provide and how they've impacted the customers in a positive way. Hiker Hunger Outfitters is all about community and offering high quality products that are accessible and useful to anyone looking to continue exploring, no matter what age or how active you are. Visit HikerHungerOutfitters.com to see all of their products or call 877-700-7227 to speak with Cindy, their go-to customer service rock star. You could even text Emily, who happens to be one of the co-founders, at 413-627-1004. She's one of the friendliest people you'll talk to and she loves meeting new people. As an added bonus, Hiker Hunger Outfitters is offering a discount for first-time buyers. At checkout, just type in the code NEWGEAR15 and you'll get 15% off your purchase. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with a co-founder and CEO of Lumos, uh, Ewan Ding. Ewan, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, chat with me. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. For sure. All right. So for the listener that may not be familiar with Lumos, how would you best describe your brand to them? Sure. Uh, our well, I have to describe the product. Our product is is a very visual product, but I can still describe it. It's uh, it's a next generation bicycle helmet, and what it is is that it looks like a normal bike helmet by day, but at night when you turn it on, you've got lights integrated into the helmet itself. So you get bright white lights in the front, a bright red light at the back, and there's a remote that goes on your handlebar. And when you press it, uh, it activates these left and right turn signals uh, that you can see from both the front and the back. Um, and in some of our models now, um, there's also an automatic, there's a motion sensor in the remote. So when the bicycle slows down, it activates a brake light on the helmet automatically. So um, really pretty simple concepts. Uh, all the things that you know and are familiar with from a car, and we're taking those uh, simple features and putting it onto a helmet for the most vulnerable member of the road, which of course is the is the cyclist. And we're just trying to um, make sure that the cyclist always has a great set of lights so that they're seen by a driver, so that the driver doesn't inadvertently hit uh, a, a cyclist and uh, cause a cause an accident or a collision. Um, yeah, that's us. 
It's actually really interesting that no one's come up with this idea before because it's so simple, but yet so <laughs> yeah. obvious once you see it. It's like, duh. <laughs> it's kind well, of amazing. The idea, we, we, <laughs> the idea has definitely been around for, for some time. Uh, we, we certainly were not the first people to, to, come, up, to come up with it. But I, I would say that we were the first people to really like dive into it and, and look into like like if we had to make this product really work, uh, how would it look? How 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 would it work? Because there are a lot of ways to to um, to kind of butcher it up and and not not make it not make it any any good. So if you just want to put lights onto a helmet, you can do that. Um, but if you want to do it in a way that I think the challenge and and our, our challenge that we saw was to not put lights on a helmet, but to do it in a way that. Uh, really enhances your visibility, of course, that's the, that's the most core thing, but at the same time, without compromising the safety of the helmet, the design of the helmet, uh, you know, that's a huge one uh, because it, it, after all, it sits on your on your head and helmets already have a unfortunate, you know, reputation of like not being the coolest thing in, on, in the world to sort of wear. Um, and so the, the, the last thing you want to do is, is make a helmet even more sort of like out there. Um, so that was our big design challenge. And I, I, and I think that's where we've really sort of broken through. Uh, uh, that we've integrated these these things in a way that makes the helmet look, um, I would say, in my opinion, even even better. Um, and, and so it's just slick when you when you look at it. Uh, well, I love showing it to people because I see their eyes. Uh, my helmet lights up. Their eyes light up. They're like, "This is awesome," um, and it, it's always a good time. And it's pretty light, considering the fact that you have three lights on it. Yes, uh, yes, we combine a lot of things into it, um, and and uh, for most rides, you don't really feel that much of a of a difference. Um, so yes, a, lo a lot of our riders do 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 um, mention that as well. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about sort of the origin of this. You started working on this in 2014. You officially launched the business in 2015. Um, I know you're, yes. you've successfully ran your first Kickstarter campaign, raised over $800,000 for the first campaign. Yes. You're in the middle or sort of the beginning of your second campaign with over a million raised <laughs> on that. Right. How did you get things sort of rolling in the beginning? Did you have any background in sort of manufacturing, prototyping? How did you figure this all out? Um, I had some background my uh, my my background is in mechanical engineering and my first job out of college was with a medical device startup that was also hardware based so that's where i kind of cut my teeth um, building products and uh you know i kind of started out in a sort of bleeding heart sort of place like i for a long time i thought i'd work in nonprofits. um in fact the medical device startup that i worked for was a nonprofit. um um and i just want to do stuff that you know makes the world a better place, it's a bit cliche, but you know, how to build stuff that that's good, that that does good things in the world. Um, and so that's why I moved into this medical device. It was to, uh, to help uh, babies born premature stay stay warm, and it was designed for use in developing countries. And so I really loved that product, and I discovered, unfortunately, that medical devices, it just takes like seven, eight years before you really see the the results of, of, of your work as, as a product engineer. Um, and so I really enjoyed myself. I learned a ton from that experience, but I said, you know, for my next time, if I get to build another product, I would love to be able to see it move a little bit faster, like, you know, within a year or two to sort of see if it, if, uh, see it hit the market and hopefully it'll, it'll do well. 
um, and, and, and stuff like that. And around the same time, I was introduced to the concept of Kickstarter. Um, in fact, I still remember the, my first Kickstarter campaign that I ever backed. It was for a company called 3 Doodler, and I'm mentioning it because maybe I'll reference it later um, because a lot of things come up come around um, and it was for a 3d printing pen and i saw a video where it, it just looks like a pen but it prints in three dimensions so you just pull it up and you see a piece of plastic just like emerge in, in the air and i learned about this i don't know how much of your listeners know what kickstarter kickstarter is but basically creators go to the crowd and they say that i've got this invention innovation products that you have never seen before and i need your help to come in uh, back this campaign and if you back this campaign I'll get the money that I need to go and build it and when I build it I'll give one to you and I thought it was it's such a simple thing in fact I see a lot of parallels like I mentioned to you earlier Josh um, with with Ready Yeti you know just putting a, a community of people together people want to not just buy stuff but um, you know understand the story behind the creation be connected to real people building real things um, uh, I, I, th I thought this was such a magical sort of sort of like um, combination of, of of things, and so sorry this is a bit meandering. No, no. Um, but at the back of my mind, I always felt that man, if I had an idea for something, I would love to be able to have a, a, a successful Kickstarter campaign on my own one day. You know, one day. Um, and and then I guess that that they sort of came. Um, because I, I I was attending a an, an event that's where I met uh, one of my future co-founders and I pitched this idea for for a helmet. It was an it was an idea that I had at the back of my mind, and I had the idea for this helmet by the way because I was cycling. Uh, I've I've been a I cycle in uh, in in the Midwest in Evanston where I went to, when I went to college uh, in deep snow. I've cycled in Boston and I cycled in the Bay Area. Um, and each time I cycled, I would find myself a lot of times cycling at night without any lights. Um, and the reason in particular for me is that I was just being a kid and being really lazy. Um, and either I would forget my lights and they would get stolen on my bike or I'll forget them at home and 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 leave them there or forget to charge them and so they'd be out of juice. Or they would literally be in my bag and I wouldn't bother like pulling it out and mounting it onto my bike because I just sort of couldn't be bothered. Um, and after a couple of close calls, you start to realize that this is really just not a good idea. Um, and for me, what I needed was a really simple and convenient way to just always have a great set of lights with me um, with really low friction to just have my lights and turn it on. And I felt that, you know, oh man, you need front lights, you need back lights. If they're all in my helmet and I and I almost always brought my helmet with me, then I could just be one button and it would just be so convenient. Um, so I thought that sounds like a simple idea. I'm, I'm sure it's been done before already, but I just need a little project to sort of keep myself busy. So let's just build this and, and see what happens. And so that's where the first prototype of Lumos uh, got built. It was just a way to sort of keep busy. <laughs> and when did you decide that you were going to give it a, a really a, a serious try and start a business around yeah. it, not just, you know, develop the product? Yeah. Uh, it, I remember a very specific um, uh, experience and uh, it was, I took uh, our first prototype, which was extremely ugly, I have to tell you, extremely ugly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I took it to a bike shop and I just said, I showed, I showed the shop guy. I just walked in and said, 
if you have a couple of minutes, I just want to show you something. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, you know. Um, so we showed him the, the the prototype, and I saw his eyes light up. His hands went through his hair. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is so cool. And it was not so much what he said and what he did. It was the glints I saw in his eyes or that like, wow, that's that's awesome. That that wow moments was what made me feel like that's something kind of special. Um, and for someone like me who loves to make stuff that would delight people, this is a very meaningful interaction. And I, and I thought to myself that if this is this, this there's, there's something here. Um, and if more people sort of felt this way, maybe there's an opportunity for, for a product like this to, to, to exist. Um, but that was a spark for, for me that way I got more serious. That's so interesting. Okay, so what were the next steps then? You had this first prototype. Um, was your thoughts Kickstarter right away? Almost right away, it, it did seem like a very intuitive uh, uh, thing to bring this to Kickstarter. I mean, uh, uh, there's a lot of, for whatever reason, a lot of people on Kickstarter tend to be cyclists. I, I don't really know why, but I think there's, there's something there's something there. Um, it's also such a visual, sort of simple product in, in a sense. So it, it really did, the more we thought about it, it always just seemed to reinforce and make more and more sense. Um, and... And uh, what I ended up doing was, uh, at the time, and and this has been true for a very long time. There's always some spectacular failures from from campaigns that do really well, and then for whatever reason, end up either not building a product or building one that's that's kind of really under expectations or or, or whatever it is. Uh, and so what I would do is I would read all of their updates and all of their comments and all of their blogs um, saying, sorry, 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 to put that fear in, in me because the last thing I wanted to do was to have a successful, like take money from people, but not know how to build it. Like that was the, the last thing that I, that I wanted to do. Um, so I took, a, I took a whole year preparing for the campaign, not knowing if it will be successful or not. Um, and I told myself, I'll give myself a year. And we'll, we'll get it ready so that if it's successful, we can build it. And if it's not successful, then I can just leave it. And it's like sort of no harm done. There's a year where I learned a lot of things. And I yeah, I wish I wish it was more successful, but it's not no big deal. You know, you win some, you lose some. Um, and this was great for my mom too, by the way, because uh, she she was very supportive, but also very concerned. And so we were able to have an agreement where, all right, if the Kickstarter campaign goes above a certain amount, um, then you carry on and keep doing it for more than a year. But if it doesn't, then you don't don't do it and you just sort of find a regular job or whatever it is and i could deal with that i was like that makes a lot of sense i can commit to that great and what um, was the threshold number for that for your mom to be comfortable i think i think it was like four hundred thousand dollars or 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 something so um to, to give you some context i'm sure you know having talked to many you know um outdoor products founders um and and, and companies uh, eight hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money absolutely no, no doubt about it um but if you want to build a product, it turns out that it's not a lot of money. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. Um, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really know that uh, at the time. At the time, I thought it was like a lot of money, and it and it is in some you know um, respects and some perspectives. Um, but again, to build a really great product, this is really not a lot of money. Um, so and and I and, and can you elaborate as to why? Just I, so the listeners can get like a, a grasp on that. Um. Let's put it this way. Uh, I did I did the math, um, and and it's sort of like four hundred thousand was sort of like the bare minimum of what you would need to sort of make something and and, and take it to market. Um, you you could do it. Um, where the problem is is 
of course, your assumptions. Um, and one of the biggest assumptions is that you get it right the first time. <laughs> you don't make any serious mistakes. Sure. Um, and pain that, that didn't happen. <laughs> of the product that you see now is actually, in a sense, already a version two. There was, there was a version one where we spent a lot of money <laughs> building a tool and a lot of time building a tool. And then we realized some really stupid things that lots of first time uh, hardware entrepreneurs and founders sort of sort of do and all kinds of mistakes like the fit was not that great the design was was not on points like it it functioned the way we the way we said it would the, those front lights those back lights those turn signals as a brake light but everything else the look the design the fits it it, it, it wasn't good it, it was heavy um and and um uh, that actually was one of the hardest times of, of the company. We we faced a choice of either we could ship it. If we shipped it, we would have been satisfied in like we built the product that we said we would. It's just not as awesome as we as we hoped. Um, or take a risk, start from scratch, rebuild, and incorporate all the lessons we learned uh, into building a, a the the much better product with the risk that. You know, it could all fall apart um, because who knows what other things happen. We could run out of money. We could make some mis even more mistakes in, in the in the products, and we're delaying it to to deliver to our Kickstarter backers, which unfortunately happens much more often than than not. Um, and uh, and we ended up deciding to do that to to scrap that that first tool, almost restart from the beginning. Um, it led to a six month delay. We we killed ourselves building that product, um, and. We we delivered at the end of 2016, and unfortunately, I still remember it was the worst Christmas of my life because we we delivered many thousands of helmets before Christmas, but I think something like a thousand or two thousand helmets was delayed after Christmas, and people were pretty upset, understandably. So, absolutely, it was our, is like our, our mistake, and I, I I think I apologize to hundreds of people personally, um, um, which which I wish we didn't have to do, but uh, it was a bit of a formative experience uh, for us. Um, and so we go back to Kickstarter, you know, without, <laughs> with no small amounts of, of some trepidation and, 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 and some bit of fear, which I think is healthy and a, a, a healthy feeling to have. That's so interesting. Sort of walking through that whole journey. Um, okay. So you get this Kickstarter under your camp, under your belt, you fine tuned the product you've worked through sort of two iterations now in delivering yeah. Um, the first Kickstarter at the, you said the end of 2016 or early 2016? The end of 2016, yes. The end of 2016. Yes. Okay, so um, yes. sort of catch me up. What happened from that point on to now launching this Kickstarter campaign with the new product? Uh, so the spiel I give to, to, to people when I give uh, a pitch or introduction to the company. Um, so yeah, Kickstarter was our first big sort of like uh, public success. We used that money um, and we built the product and delivered it at the end of 2016. Uh, since our since then, we got some great coverage. Uh, Business Insider called us like the best helmet for commuters. Slate called us the helmet that every bike commuter needs. Um, and at the end of 2017, I had a really interesting opportunity um, when, I was, when I was in San Francisco to visit Apple and to pitch the, the retail merchandising team um, our products. Um, and, and on the back end, uh, by by the way, I almost didn't go for that pitch and that presentation because I had a trade show in the UK, which and the UK is one of our most important markets, um, like second or third to the to the US. Um, and it was a bike trade show, and so I thought, you know, would I trade a one in a million shot with Apple? 
example, for a bread and butter uh, trade show for my core, one of my core markets. And so I, I, I initially decided to pass on the Apple presentation because I thought, what's the point? It's just, you know, no one goes to the Apple store to buy a helmet. Um, and I was given it some really good advice to like, not do that and to like take the Apple meeting and send someone else to go for the for the for the, for the UK trade show and, and I and I did that um, and so I went on to Cupertino I, I met the Apple team and I I'm my best self when I have nothing when I feel I have nothing to lose <laughs> and so I just pitch with sure. and, and just tell you know tell our story um, they ended up liking it quite quite a fair bit um, and we discovered uh, an idea to pitch them, which is that, hey, we've got our turn signals with the remote. This is a very simple remote, two buttons left and right. But wouldn't it be cool if you could somehow know when you're giving a hand signal, right? When you're putting out your left hand, that's a left turn. And you, in, in when you're putting out your left hand and pointing it to the air, uh, if you can imagine that, that's a right turn signal. Not everyone not everyone knows that, but that, that's, that's how it works. Um, and if we could somehow know what, your head, what, what hand signal you're giving, we could turn turn signals on the helmet on automatically. And you can do that. You can do that if you're wearing a smart device on your wrist, and that's the Apple Watch. And so we ended up building a, a app for the Lumos for the for the Apple Watch, uh, with a gesture recognition algorithm that we that we developed, and it can distinguish between a left hand signal and a right turn signal uh, on on your hand, and activate the turn signal on the helmet. And they like that a lot because that's like a really fresh, interesting use case for the Apple Watch that they've not really seen before. Um, and so in a sense, you know. Apple for their third-party products, they it's it's not just a straightforward retailer, right? Apple Apple is is Apple a, a brand or a retailer? It's it's mostly a brand. They really care about selling Apple products, um, and so when you have third-party products, a big part of the mission for those products is to make Apple look good. And if you can make the Apple Watch look really good and interesting and fresh, that means the Apple ecosystem is kind of good and fresh and interesting, and that's good for Apple. And so that's kind of where a helmet, that's, that's why I ended up seeing, uh, so long story short, we, we, we got brought into Apple and we were we were the first time to ever be sold at the Apple store um, in over like 300 stores uh, across, across the world actually, uh, in the US, Canada, and, and Europe. Um, and so yeah, for, for uh, a long time, our helmets were sitting on the shelf in the Apple store. You could walk into the Apple store and see our helmet sitting there blinking and doing its thing, which was a very remarkable experience. <laughs> That's crazy. Now, I, did that drive a lot of sales and growth for you guys? Yes, it did. That was definitely a game changer for for, for us. I mean, there was a huge marketing opportunity, um, uh, obviously a huge branding opportunity. Um, uh, you know, we were really concerned for a while if there will be any sales and if there are no sales that's kind of a big problem because of and and obviously no like i said no one goes to the apple store looking to buy a helmet um but it turns out that they they, they will <laughs> it became a real sales channel um, um and in fact you know our, our helmets are not cheap uh, they go for between 180 US dollars to 280 for for different variants so now we've got about two models uh, four models and no, two models and four variants um, in, in, in the market. Um, and in a normal bike store, uh, if you're selling to a commuter, you, you know, if you're selling to like a performance athlete. Right, um, if you're a mountain biker or something like that, you'll buy an expensive yeah, helmet. Yeah, a mountain but... biker, some, yeah, really specialized. But if you're just like, I want to go from A to B in, this, in New York City, um, you know, sometimes they just buy like a $30 helmet on Amazon. Right. Um, so that that's a challenging one to get that customer to buy a $200 helmet. It's kind of challenging, especially in the context of a bike store. 
but you change the context to an Apple store, suddenly $200 for a helmet is like not that much. <laughs> so it's really interesting how people's psychology right, sort of right, right. It's, context, it's sort of the yeah. cheapest thing in the room now at that point. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like, this is a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was fun. Interesting. Now, do you still have the partnership with Apple? We, uh, yes, we do. So we're now, we're now selling our second helmet uh, at the Apple store. Um, so that, that partnership has continued till today, so it's already been two and a half plus plus years. Um, uh, so that's an ongoing key key partnership for us, of course. Um, but you know, the, the bigger part of our sort of grand plan is is um, uh, so I'll give you the grand plan. The grand plan is is sort of like to take a page from Tesla, and and you know the the sort of spiel that, that I give is, you know, Tesla didn't invent electric cars. They just looked at the electric car category and said, like, you know, back then it was known for Priuses and, you know, Prius stands for, it's, it's subjective, obviously, but you can think of like, oh, green, eco, like a compromise, like maybe a little bit dorky, like not like kind of cool, sure, but not super cool, like whatever it is. Um, and then they came in and sort of just totally, you know, changed, flipped, like, like flip the script, right? Um, and so I said, no, 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 no. Electric cars is not compromised at all. In fact, it's zero compromise. It's like the best car ever in, in the world. We're going to start really premium and crazy niche with the Roadster. We're going to go even more premium with the Model S and, get, and go to the Model X. And then eventually, um, our world domination, dominating product will be the Model 3. And that, that's going to target the mass, the mass sort of market. Um, <clears throat> so... And, and we see a lot of analogs for, for, for us. Um, uh, we didn't invent the helmet space, so we didn't invent bike lights, but we did innovate and put them together. And we started very deliberately at a fairly high price point. Number one, because it is extremely expensive to make our products to the quality that it is. And so it must have that price point to, command, to, to, to absorb the costs of developing and manufacturing that product. Um, but also it forces us position a brand in, in that specific way, right? Um, uh, which is something that we knew we had to do. Uh, and that allows us to play with with Apple and and, and, and everything else. But <clears throat> the goal for Lumos is not to be a, a luxury brand. We don't we don't see ourselves as a luxury brand at all. We we want, you know, good smart helmets that keep people safe to be the new normal like we think this like why can't everyone have one of these like it, it makes sense but that won't happen if it's only 200 helmets we must have a mass sort of sort of helmet so we'll, we'll get there eventually um and and to cut the long story short we're actually kind of there now so our first helmet on kickstarter is like our analog of the model s our second helmet was a um, skater style helmet called the matrix that's one of our coolest products um, but it's also really expensive it's, 200, it's a 250 dollar helmet um, and that's really popular with people who ride electric skateboards uh, one wheels it's like it's kind of almost designed specifically for like someone with a one wheel which is like maybe the most niche market ever sure um, yeah but we couldn't yeah we couldn't help ourselves because we, we just really wanted to build that product uh, but now um we we've got uh, our third product which is the lumos ultra and it is our first sub 100 helmets and it is live on kickstarter right now we we launched it um i think a little bit more than two three three weeks ago yeah three weeks ago um and you know, our first campaign, it did really well, $800,000. Um, 
we we do we do feel miffed that we weren't able to break the 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 seven figures and do a million dollar campaign. And of course, you know, I I wanted to have a million dollar campaign. So that was the goal for Ultra that we'll come back to Kickstarter um, with the with the Ultra, and hopefully it'll be a million dollar campaign by the end of the campaign. And uh, we broke like half a million in the first 24 hours, <laughs> and I think we broke a million in the first week or something, something like that. And that was not expected. Like obviously it was hoped for, but it was nowhere close to expected. So we've been really like overwhelmed by by the response um, that we've been getting from the community for 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 Ultra. So it's it's pretty exciting, and it's right. It's it's right now. We're not even at the halfway point. <laughs> I I mean you've had over eleven thousand backers at this point, which is unbelievable <laughs> for this yeah. campaign. Yeah. Like, yes. what did you? Um, what would you attribute the success to? Like, did you? Obviously, you've had years of sort of success at this point, so you have sort of a base. Um, but yep. what were the sort of uh, keys, so to speak, that really allowed you to raise yep. over the million dollar threshold? Yeah. So it's a it's a couple of uh, first of all I'm not super sure uh, but we have some we have some guesses. Um, the first one is we've definitely seen a lot of um, I, we've invested in in our community and to tell our story um, and I think we have some elements of uh, you know brand awareness especially from our users that who uh, who backed us in our first campaign or or, or afterwards um, and so we've seen a lot of them come back and say that. Ultra looks great, and I would love to upgrade the the, the helmet and get a new Lumos. So, re- repeat purchases from our existing community is a huge part of the sport. Absolutely, like that's a big chunk. Um, and the second piece was, you know, our original intention was to launch the campaign sometime in mid summer, um, and and then coronavirus happened, and one of the sort of um, I think I guess surprise or un- unexpected outcomes of coronavirus is that the bike has kind of suddenly become a little bit of a, a sleeper a sleeper hit um, because the gyms are closed. You the, like going to public transport doesn't sound like a really good idea. Um, uh, if you want to do anything else other than running, um, you're, you're kind of you don't have that many choices available anymore. And so cycling has has just shot up in terms of both as an activity to exercise as well as to get around um uh, especially especially in the city where you're where you probably don't have a car uh in uh uh so uh and what's really interesting and so we see a lot of like um reports and anecdotal stories of bike stores running out of stock and like just flying off the shelves um and if you go to the to the data in Google, if you if you search Google Trends, uh, Google Google has a tool called Google Trends where you can see how popular a search term is uh, over over time over the last five five years. Um, and the trend, the Google searches for bicycle helmet has like tripled <laughs> compared to where it was last year, um, which shows you the the true the truth that people really are looking to get on their bikes and 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 all these things. And all that's great for my business. The problem is that where all this growth is coming from is from basically new people picking up and dusting off their bikes and then buying gear that's really really uh, no like throwing away that really old gear and buying and buying new ones and for someone like that um like honestly they're probably looking at a pretty small budget um they're going to buy a 30 to 80 dollar helmet some somewhere in, in that in that range maybe a hundred dollar helmet um and they're not going to go right off the bat and buy a $200 Lumos helmet right off the bat, right? Having 
not written very often for for a very long time, and and we sort of knew that we 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 got that that made that made a lot of sense. And luckily, we were already working on Ultra, and so we really accelerated that that process to to speed up a campaign and and launch it sooner rather than later. So, uh, I think it's so basically it's timing. Um, uh, there's a huge number of people who are getting back on their bikes. They're looking for uh, to replace their bike helmet, and in their, and they're feeling like if I need to replace my helmet, it might as well be a good one. Lumos Ultra looks great, and it combines a good-looking helmet with front lights and back lights for less than hundred dollars. Seems like a good deal. Seems like it makes sense. Like that seems to be a bit of a no-brainer, which is exactly how we wanted to position Ultra. So I, I think it's attributable to that to that sort of positioning. That's so interesting. Now I want to take a pivot and sort of talk about um, sustainability, since you guys are a uh, manufacturing-based brand and obviously an outdoor-specific sure. brand. How do you? keep yes. sustainability sort of front and center as you guys grow yeah that is a great question i'm glad you i'm glad you brought it up um the answer for what we are right now is that we are grappling with this um so the, un the unfortunate kind of truth is that the materials used to make helmets is called expanded polystyrene um eps eps is not the most eco-friendly um uh, material in, in in the world um uh uh, it, 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 yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not, um, but it's definitely still worth making because, uh, it's still the best material in the world that we know that can be used to protect your head. And so in this specific instance, you making expanded polystyrene, even though it has negative environmental effects, is very much worth it because it will save your life. Um, um. So where does the sustainability come in? And, and we're doing some research here, and we're looking for we're looking at some of our sort of brand heroes. Peak Design being a big one. Um, I don't know anyone at the company, I, but I really look up to them. They they are one of the most successful uh, companies on Kickstarter, and they think they, they take environmental um, uh, consciousness very seriously. And 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 one of the things that they do, and I've been researching about this, is uh, carbon offsets. Uh, and and carbon what's it called uh yeah car carbon offsets and the idea is that no company can not have an environmental environmental impact right but you can offset that impact um by by buying credits planting trees doing something else good somewhere else that will uh, that will uh, negate the impacts of, of 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 what you've done, and so that's something that we are actively looking at, and are actually really really enthusiastic to to do because I think it makes a lot of sense, and it's actually a lot cheaper than a lot of people realize, um, and so that's something that I hope to be able to to announce in the very near future uh, that we would love to do because we are absolutely, um, you know, wants to to stand for sustainability and, uh, and, 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 you know, eco responsibility. It's definitely interesting, especially, uh, being a business owner, that sort of issue where like, when you do it personally, it's like, okay, I'm cycle, I'm trying to plastic, yep. you know what I mean? Certain things yep. like standard yep. things that normal people deal with on a regular basis. But when you start a business and it yep. gets bigger, you're like, Oh, whoa. There's all these responsibilities <laughs> right. and sort of things that you have to make a decision about, right? And it's like you can't just like ignore right. it to a certain extent right. because you, by ignoring it, you're making a decision not to do anything about it, so to speak. And I always find sure. it interesting when talking to founders and like how they sort of work through that process and figuring out how they want to handle right. it as a company. Right. Um, right. So tell me what's what's in store for the future? 
for for Lumos? Where where do you see the brand in the next year, five years, ten years down the road? That is a great question. Um, I personally kind of feel like Lumos is still like, I don't know, a, a six-year-old child. Like we've got dreams and ambitions and, you know, I don't think we're a baby anymore, um, but definitely still still a child. So we've got a lot of potential, dreaming big dreaming big things. Who knows where, where we're going to go. Um, uh, the 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 core of what we do is that we want to build products that will keep riders safe, will help them be seen by by car drivers so they will not get hit and so potentially avoid an accident from happening in the first place. That that's the simple thing that we do and problem that we that we solve. Um, at least at least for now. So we don't want to stray from that uh, too much. Uh, and I think there's plenty more problems and things we can do better in the, in that space to keep riders feeling safe and, and making sure that, you know, um, especially in roads in the U.S., it's, it's very unfortunate. Uh, cyclists, like it's car country, right? Um, uh, you know, people tell me all the time, like, wow, you, your product must do really well in Amsterdam. And it, it's totally not true at all. And, and the reason it's not true is because Amsterdam is the only country in the world you can point to where the bike is king. And when your vehicle is king, you're not afraid of anything. So that's why no one in Amsterdam wears helmets because they are king of the road. Um, in America, it's the reverse, right? Car is, is obviously the king of the road. And um, unfortunately, a lot of drivers will not hesitate to let you know that you are a second-class citizen on the road if you're a cyclist. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, like... Like I, I was riding in Boston. Um, the year I was living in Boston, Boston drivers were voted worst drivers in America. <laughs> I concur and, with that statement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they were with some pride, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, but you know, people were flipping each other off. I heard so much road rage the year I was living there. Um, it was it was really interesting. Interesting. Um, but but you know unfortunately it's, it's sometimes not always a laughing matter uh, cyclists really don't feel particularly safe on the road in in the states um and that's something that we want to do something about and you know one of the nice stories that we love to hear is lots of our lots of our customers and riders they write us emails saying that yeah i i, I had my lights on i used a turn signal and this truck in front of me like stopped and and gave me way and they're like that's a very remarkable thing because this has never happened before um and I think it's because, you know, it's communication, right? When you're, when that driver, not all drivers, of course, but when some drivers see you making that effort, trying to communicate, trying to let them know what you're doing, they really appreciate that. And then they will, I guess, sometimes be nicer, not always, but, but, but lots of times. Yeah, I guess it depends um, on the state. And I think that <laughs> it depends. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes. So I can't guarantee it happens all the time, but you know that that effort is appreciated it helps load attention in 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 the road and i think that that just helps us you know do our part to just share the road a bit more responsibly and and, and a little bit more friendly for sure i i really like what you guys are doing with uh with lumos and it's, it sounds like you're so passionate and excited about um the journey so far and what's in store for the future and i just want to thank you um you and for for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story and the the story of lumos and uh, for anyone who's listening to this oh, podcast, you. you can uh, support their Kickstarter campaign, which is alive um, for at least, I think, till July 19th. Um, so it's uh, definitely going for a bit longer if you want to pick up uh, the Lumos Ultra, which I know is priced at under $100. And right. um, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. 
Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate it. This is fun. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.